With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome, everyone, to Rockin' Nation Podcast. My name is Sam Snelling. I am your host. Uh, with me, as always, is my good friend, my co-host, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well this evening. Really stoked uh, about the guest. Yeah, so we have uh, lined up for Season 3, Episode 4 of Dive Cuts. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh a very special guest, a guy we had on last year about this time. Guy does a great job writing for The Athletic, uh, CJ Moore. So we're not going to spend any more time talking. We're just going to hop right into the interview. All right, everyone. I'd like to welcome in a, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and call him a good friend of the pod. This is his second uh, appearance on the Dive Cuts podcast for Rock'em nation podcast uh you know him as cj moore he is at cj moore hoops on the twitter sphere a a kind of a regional and national writer for the athletic college basketball um one of matt and i's favorite writers cj welcome to the podcast how are you jim and i i appreciate the nice words and th- thanks for having me i'm doing all right well we always like having you if for no other reason cj then uh you are like Matt and I, a little bullish on our Missouri Tigers this year. Uh, and so we kind of wanted to get into that uh, uh, specifically today. So we're recording this Tuesday, October 15th. Uh, the SEC media poll came out. Missouri was ranked 13th. Um, yeah, I guess we could bring up the CBS ranking as well. That was uh, a, that was a little bit more easy to kind of put to the side than the SEC media, who very, very much so do not have a lot of faith in our in the Missouri Tigers. So uh, there are some questions that Missouri needs to answer. They're looking to replace the production of Jordan Geist, who did a lot for for Mizzou last year. Um, and I think one of the big questions and the first kind of place I want to hop into is, is about Drew Smith. Uh, Drew Smith's impact on this team, is he going to give Missouri fans sort of a lot of what uh, Jordan Geis provided, or is his role going to be a little bit different? I think some similar in terms of like the the toughness and tangibles defensively. Um, you know, I think he should be better and defensively. But but you know, he has some of that like 
Geis was just like a tough dude that you could trust was was going to come and play hard every night and and do the little things for you. And I think that's Drew Smith brings some of that too. But I, I think Drew Smith's just a a better ball handler, a better passer, um, just kind of a better all around player. And and that's not to to poo poo on Jordan Geis because like he was really valuable for the Tigers last year, and I think he got every bit you know everything out of his ability. And, um, you know, they'd, they'd probably love to still have him and put him next to, to Drew Smith. But um, I think, you know, you upgrade there a little bit at, at point guard when, when you bring in Drew Smith, who I know, like, you know, I know you guys have, have gone back and, and watched some of his tape at Evansville, and I have as well, and uh, was very impressed with, with what I saw. And when you study the advanced number, numbers as well, like he's probably a, a guy that is a lot better than, than people realize and, and because he played at Evansville. Um, but, you know, the, the Missouri Valley is usually a pretty good league, and um, I think he's a really, really nice addition to Missouri, and he also solves some issues that, that the Tigers have had the last couple of years. And, want, you know, the, the major one, I think, is is taking care of the basketball, and I think he's the type of point guard that's going to kind of steady things offensively and, and, and really help the Tigers get better shots and get into their stuff. And um, that was, that's been a little bit of an issue, and, and that was probably, you know, I think Jordan got better at it, but um, I just think True Smith will kind of be a steadying force. You kind of wrote a piece a couple weeks ago looking at questions for each of the players, and I think for Drew you kind of hit on it right now. Is he for real? Is that translational ability going to be there going from the Missouri Valley into the SEC? But mm-hmm. you know, to me when I look at the rest of it, there, there are some other questions that are pressing and kind of at the forefront. Can Jeremiah Tillman stay on the floor? Can any of the guards really, I think, emerge as a downhill kind of playmaker? I think – Conzo schematically is kind of, I think, coming to his own a little bit and has gotten a little bit more modern with his sets and with his stuff, but I don't think they have a Definitely. guy who can go create offense, you know, if those are kind of stall out. And really, what else can they get from the combo forward spot? You know, that last year was just kind of a black hole for them. And if Tillman was off the floor, things really, really bogged down. So I was just sort of curious, you know, you've written about the state of the program, kind of have questions for each player, but what what really is the linchpin for this team to find some success? If you can, if if there is one, or are there multiple ones that you think that they're going to have to lean on, or they're going to have to resolve? Uh, you know, I think you hit it on like I think to- either Torrance Watson or Xavier Pinson. Um, I think one of those guys has to you know really improve and 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 be able to be as you said like a downhill playmaker. Um, I think you hope that that Pinson's that and and that. Watson at least gets better at like attacking off the bounce. You know, he really struggled um, finishing around the basket. I wrote about that a little bit in the, the you know, the questions for each player. Um, I think you, you need both of those guys to, to, to improve offensively. And, and, you know, they should. Like a lot of times players make a, a good leap from um, freshman year to sophomore year. And I think those, those guys showed enough last year that there should be hope. Um, that you know they'll turn a corner in, in some of those areas that maybe were were weaknesses as a as, as freshmen. But but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like just having diverse playmakers that that can can do things when when the when everything else breaks down. Um, well, I think Drew will be like good at creating for others and stuff like that. Like he he isn't like an explosive like blow by you type guy. He's more deliberate. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's that's maybe a key is just um, you know finding guys that, that can put defenses in in bad rotations. And one of the things that I know Conzo has kind of talked about in the past is he's made a fair amount of references to uh, to how Leonard Hamilton built up Florida State in you know the more recent years where they could kind of get to ten deep. Uh, I think you know Florida State kind of running Missouri out of the gym at the NCAA tournament a couple of years, probably had a little bit of an impact on that. Uh, mm-hmm. But Missouri, realistically, I mean, even though some of their their depth is young and, and a l- still a little bit unproven, uh, they do have a, a deep roster. It looks like they could get to 10 or 11 guys without really fielding a huge drop-off, say, as long as one of those guys maybe isn't, uh, you know, Jeremiah Tillman. <laughs> but uh, are you kind of at the point where you think, like, like this is – the kind of roster that, that Conzo needs and he's going to be able to get uh, to that level of uh, and CJ it wouldn't be a Rock'em Nation podcast if we didn't have some dog barking so <laughs> it's okay 
I swear, I swear, it happens. It happens like every podcast now. So it's yeah, it's, yeah. Don't the, feel bad at all. The, the wife and my youngest will be walking in here in a, in a minute. Then there'll be lots of you know running around and crazily and and uh, the collar dingling. But uh, after that, things should chill out. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. So where were we going with that one? Uh, uh, well, yeah. So Conzo oh, playing really deep. Uh, Florida State, Leonard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't can think he, they can. Play. He get to ten or eleven guys. Uh, I, you know, he he could. Um, I always kind of giggle when a coach talks about you know I'm going to play ten or eleven guys because. Like who really plays that many players? <laughs> like, you know, like I don't know. I think it's a great idea. I think you should stick to probably a seven, eight man rotation, because um, I'm I'm all about you know having rhythm and and uh, you know if you if you're playing so many guys, it's just tough. So um, yeah, theoretically they could get there, but I bet he he probably settles more into like an eight, nine man rotation. And um, the the nice thing about having depth is if somebody gets hurt. You know, you're you're when your ninth, tenth, eleventh guy can step in there, and you don't have a big fall off. I think that's a that's a luxury, and I, I do think he he might have the the depth on this roster where you could say, hey, as long as they don't lose, you know, like like Tillman, you don't want to lose him, right? And um, you know, you're not going to want to lose Drew Smith, and you're probably not going to want to lose Mark Smith. But if you lose anybody else to an injury for a little while, you can probably sustain it. Let's kind of piggyback off that. I think you know where I've sort of looked at is you know, how Conzo's had to kind of adapt on the fly stylistically. And I think mm-hmm. when he was hired, they talked about, you know, hey, we're going to bring in Cornell Mann. We're going to try and run this Iowa State kind of system that's going to have, I think, a little bit more early clock action. I don't think they were going to try and, you know, get out and run. But I thought there was going to be a little bit more early yeah. clock possessions. They might run some more deep But he also, he also loves Jay, Jay Wright and Villanova, and there's not and a he, lot of early clock action there. And so that and that's kind of gets <laughs> into my point here, which is, but you look yeah. at kind of, I think the one thing that stuck out to me is his teams stylistically and at least in terms of like analytic profiles have skewed more to that Michigan Villanova kind of four out system. Having been around the program, having been able to see these guys kind of maybe go through a little bit of the summer work. Where do you think this roster is right now in terms of matching what Konzo wants? I think, you know, we've all sort of hit on it. They're hoping to shore up ball handling. looks like they're trying to get a few more, you know, creative pieces, but he's got some various guards he's with some multiple skill sets. He's got a big, you can kind of roll or put in the short corner. Mm-hmm. So has he done a good job? I think kind of putting together the roster so far, or is there still a little bit more, you know, development that needs to happen on that end? Yeah, I think he's done a good job. I think this, this roster has come together pretty well. I think that he, I think it's it's obvious he he puts a premium on shooting like he wants to go out and and get shooting and he also wants to get um you know kind of those three four types that are Trey Jackson the and uh Co- Kobe Brown types that um you know can can go out and and make plays on the perimeter and um I think you know in terms of finding like like recruiting um, you know, maybe maybe he'll still go after some Jeremiah Tillman types, but I think he'd really prefer to to have guys that can play on the perimeter um, in, in terms of big men and and really, you know, kind of wants to go to that Nova style where you know a lot of people think like space space and pace where Nova's really not like that. It's it's space and slow pace, right? <laughs> and I, I think that's kind of how he wants to play. Um, where they, you know, they shoot a decent amount of threes and they really space the floor. And he's got, you know, multiple playmakers, even in, inside, you know, guys that can put it put it on the floor from from the four spot, maybe even the five spot. Like he's excited about maybe playing Mitchell Smith at, at some center this year because, you know, he can really stretch the floor with his shooting. So, um, but in terms of building it in his vision, yeah, I, I think he is. And I think this is really the first year where maybe you'll be able to see that because so much – the last few years was built around like, okay, the Porters, like the first year was all about Michael and just trying to get some older guys in that could play. Right. Like you just need to upgrade the talent. So you couldn't necessarily do it in your vision. You just needed to, to get some guys. Right. And, and then last year um, was probably going to start to kind of be in his vision, but a lot was going to go through Jonte who was probably kind of a, you know, the type of big man he wants, but like everything for that team was going to be built around Jonte. Like ball was going to go through him a ton. Then you lose him right before the season. And like, that's just, 
that's really, really, really difficult when you have such a young roster already. So I think this might be one of the, you know, the first year where you can really start to judge, um, Conzo and, and kind of how he's he's put it together because he I, I do think the image he wants of in terms of the type of guys he wants he's he's been able to go get and and stylistically he should be able to do the things he, he wants to do so I, I think you, you, we should learn quite a quite a bit from from this year and hey they're they're still pretty young so if they can have like a a nice season this year that's it's something really they can build off going into next year. And one of the spots that, uh, and we've kind of alluded to it so far, was the combo forward spot that was a bit of a black hole last year. Uh, obviously, you know, missing John Tay Porter and sort of his ability to uh, be a facilitator from the four spot was was a, a spot that was really missed for the offense mm-hmm. uh, a year ago. Um, so who's going to kind of be be in that role this year? Who do you think, uh, and maybe even if it's somebody that we aren't quite anticipating, like who's going to play the role of kind of facilitator from, uh, you know, from that more kind of combo forward spot? I don't know. I mean, the way they talk, Kobe Brown seems to be the, the type of guy that can, can play that way. Um, I don't know that they're going to be playing through him a ton. Like it's, it doesn't make sense to play through, you know, um, him or, or Trey Jackson that much like I, th- I think they're more complimentary pieces um, but you know one of those guys is probably going to start the four although I wouldn't be shocked if if they end up um, starting four guards and like putting Javon Pickett at the four and playing small a lot um, I think that could definitely happen this year I think a lot of it depends on on Trey Jackson and, and Kobe Brown like those are the two guys that I'm really anxious to see play just because I think the way he handles the rotation, it factors a lot around how good are those two. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I think the I ran the numbers last year, and offensively their four guard groups were fantastic. I think uh-huh. they were around one point one or one point two points per possession, but they would just get murdered defensively and on the glass. I mean, they just didn't have like I think you've made the point with you know Torrance Watson and Xavier Pinson athletically. You know, I think both those guys were freshmen already mm-hmm. too. I just don't think they were physically developed enough and athletic enough at that point in time to go one box out or two rebound outside areas or do things like that. So there would be a, they really got compromised, I think a little bit defensively and they are already sort of a gap. In yeah. The and that's, that's where the, anyway, that's but, where the savior comes in, right? Drew, Drew Smith, like yeah. Conzo's told me he, he thinks he can guard fours. Um, he's really strong. Um, you know, when you, when you slide him in, um, and I, I also think a Pickett's the type of guy who should be able to guard some bigger guys, um, you know. And, and the one great thing about sophomores is they start to learn how to guard. Like you come in as a freshman, and when you when it when you're limited offensively on top, or sorry, not offensively, athletically on top of like just being a freshman and not understanding how to guard at the college level, like that's to fit that's difficult. So I think they can get away a little bit better defensively this year if they go small, um, just based on, on Drew and, and, and also, you know, those, those young guys getting a little bit older, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there, but I, but I, I just, (laughs) I do think they'll, they'll be able to get away with it a little bit more. So you could see a lot of it, but now if Kobe Brown and Trey Jackson are awesome and they come out right away and you're like, wow, like, we're really impressed with these guys and, and they can really go like you're probably not going to go small a ton because you want to find minutes for them. Well, yeah. So one of the things that like, I'm kind of curious uh, to see is, is I think one of the, we know that Conzo Martin can coach defense. Uh, he's, he's all through his mm-hmm. career. He's coached good defenses uh, since he's been at Missouri. Uh, Missouri has been uh, the 43rd and the uh, 51st. Uh, ranked defenses and uh, adjusted defense, according to Ken Pomeroy. Um, and while that's not great, I mean, it's kind of like we were just saying about the, you know, the freshmen kind of getting a little, little better, a little stronger. Suddenly they become a little bit better defenders. Uh, I also thought like losing Mark Smith, uh, who was, in my opinion, probably the team's best defender a year ago, uh, you know, for a, what, a third yeah. of the season, probably hurt their numbers quite a bit. And so now you're relying on, on guys like you know Torrance Watson and, and Xavier Pinson, who uh, maybe weren't quite as adept on the defensive side of the floor, uh, so isn't it like one of those things? Like I, I think 
we can kind of count on Missouri being a good defensive team. It's just a, a matter of how good they're willing to be uh, offensively that's going to kind of set this team apart and, and sort of push them up the, the scale of SEC teams, and maybe that's being undervalued. Yeah, I mean, like I think 25-ish defense is like reasonable to mm-hmm. hope for for Missouri. Um, and then, yeah, offensively they, they should be – much better and um you know a lot of it'll just depend on kind of the jumps a a lot of those dudes make and how good drew smith is and how much maybe drew smith helps a jeremiah tillman which that's also a hope of the tigers that like he's going to get the ball to tillman and in spots where he can be successful and maybe he gets less fouls because he's not waiting on it so long and um you know (laughs) ends up getting offensive fouls because he's um trying to post up for like 10 seconds those are the the things that that Missouri's hoping on, and when you know when you're looking at the glass half full, I think um, a lot of that can be is is reasonable to to expect to be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to follow up on that, I mean, I'm working on a piece about this right now, and I I really think what people tend to really undervalue because of Tillman's foul issues and kind of usage and minutes is he's arguably one of the better post passers. I think coming back in the SEC, I think you know early on he struggled with hard double teams, but you look over the last half of the season, if you really dig into synergy numbers, he was he's arguably one of the top five post passers in the country last year. And so I always think that's been an underrated aspect to his game that sort of eases that pressure on Drew a little bit to be that kind of facilitator. If you have a guy who, if we run an initial action, a counter action doesn't get it, well, let's reverse it, dump it inside and run split cuts off the backside yeah. and let Jeremiah just read is that something that you think people maybe undervalue in Jeremiah? Is just he has become quietly a, a really good facilitator. Maybe quietly. I'm, I'm not, dimension does that add? Yeah, maybe quiet. I'm, I might, I might uh, pump the brakes on top five a little bit just because man, he he struggled so bad with those double teams, and like that's what sticks out in my mind. But I I do know you know looking at at some of the advanced numbers that like they shot the ball from three a lot better when he was on the floor. And, and that comes down to, you know, some of his passing, the, the attention that he drew and, um, you know, that they could just get some wide open shots just based on him him throwing it out. And I, I do think he did – you're right that he did improve on that. And if, if, if that can be something he continues to improve, um, like, you know, they've got the, the, the shooters to uh, make teams pay when, when they double. So um, I, I think that's, that's probably the – the thing that that could be really promising for the, for the Tigers, like, okay, if if you're gonna double him, he's he's finally can handle that, and and we've got guys that can knock it down. And hey, if if you don't double him, like he's he's a problem one on one in the post. So, um, you know, it's conceivable that Missouri's. I mean, like last year, what was it, one twenty seven in adjusted offensive efficiency? Like that 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 number should go way up. And I, I'd be surprised if they're not, um, you know, at least like. I don't know, top 70, top 60. Which is probably not. So I want to kind of pose this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But so I want to kind of pose this, uh, this next question is a little bit of a two-parter. But uh, basically like this, we're sitting here at the end of the season and having a discussion over what happened with Missouri season. Uh, if Missouri is going to finish in the bottom five of the league, what happens? And if they finish in the top five of the league, what happens? Okay, if they finish in the bottom five, um, Jeremiah Tillman's still probably just the Jeremiah Tillman we've always seen, and and he hasn't like he didn't make a jump, right? Um, those freshman fours turn out to just not quite be ready. Um, Drew Smith isn't quite as good as as missouri and so and missouri and and we <laughs> like I'd, I'd be i'd be partly to blame for that hype trade probably um and uh you know maybe an injury or two that 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 it seems like this they've had some pretty terrible injury luck maybe that continues um so that's that's probably a conversation if if bottom five now if it's top five um I guess all the opposite of what I just said is, is true. I think Tillman makes a, makes a leap. Um, I don't know if those Russian fours have to be great, but, but at least one of those guys is like solid. Um, playing small probably works some. Um, and then I think they shoot it pretty well. 
and Drew Smith's pretty dang good point guard. Matt, do you have anything else you wanted to add? Oh, I was just going to do a quick recruiting related question, which I'm, I know you, <laughs> you're not writing for Eric Bossy and over at Rivals, but I, I'm just sort of struck by kind of what's happening in the Kansas City market right now. You, you know, you've got Kansas, which seems to be doing a little bit more homegrown recruiting, at least in the last two classes, especially guys like Agbaji and Christian Braun, and even kind of going over and taking, you know, Dewan Harris out of Columbia Rockbridge. You know, Kansas State has sort of hopscotched into Missouri over into the St. Louis side. Missouri's probably going to have to start getting into, sorry, is, is probably going to have to start getting into Kansas City in the next two classes. Meanwhile, you've got Fred Hoiberg and up at Nebraska. You've got Creighton up there. I mean, it seems like the market has gotten a little bit, you know, contested there, more so than maybe just Big 12 schools coming in. So I'm sort of curious, what does it look like for Missouri to start trying to gain some traction there? I mean, or is it a pretty crowded house right now? I'm just sort of curious for your thoughts as to how Missouri breaks through on the west side of the state when a lot of their attention so far has been on the St. Louis Metro. Yeah. I mean, I'd expect that they continue to, to really hit St. Louis hard. Um, I think what will probably get some attention, you know, what will help them um, recruit Kansas city better, or at least get in the race with some of those guys is to just have some results, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, have, have a good season. Um, Winning usually attracts guys. Um, I think you're seeing that with Kansas state right now. Like, Kansas State's having one of their, you know, put kind of quietly putting together a pretty darn good recruiting class for for their standard, and you know, having gone and just won the Big Twelve probably helps. But um, yeah, I mean, if there's ever a time to like come in and recruit Kansas City, when KU usually gets like the pick of what it wants, um, I think it's going to be really, really hard for KU to recruit um, at least in this next year or two until mm-hmm. um, they know their fate. So. Um, this is this is probably the time to, to kind of come on and look in Kansas City, but you are right. Like I think Sels maybe taking guys that he wouldn't take um, in the past. Although you know I, I do think he would have probably taken an an Ochai, yeah, um, and a and a Christian Brown. Um, but you know he like they just took a JUCO kid um, that's from Kansas yeah, City I that, today. that uh, like started eight games last year. Um, which like you know he was recruited by a bunch of, bunch of high majors and and uh, seems to have like a a lot of potential. It's just to see Kansas take a guy like that this early is really really unusual. And I think it's you know obviously it's about what's what's going on there. So, um, but yeah, if, if if there was ever a time to come in and, and, and recruit Kansas City, this is this is probably it. But I think what what gets attention always is is just having you know. A, a winning team and and uh the, the other thing i think big for missouri and re- recruiting um especially locally because like locally you can you can bring in kids on unofficial visits a lot right like you can get them to come to your games like i think missouri's got to start getting better fan support at some of their games um i don't know if you guys agree with me or not but like um the the atmosphere there is not what i remember at you know growing up around this nope. area um, I just think I, I was a little surprised that the the fan support wasn't a little bit better last year, um, considering you know in year one he Kazo took them to an NCAA tournament when when once they lost Michael Porter I don't think in, you know many people expected that so it was you know a very promising year one and I know last year was was kind of a a down year but um, I'm interested to see what the, the fan supports like this year especially if they get off to a bet, to a good start I know that home. Non-conference <laughs> schedule is it's, not, not yeah, too great. less than ideal. Whole lot but, of quad um, four games. Whole lot of quad four games. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not pretty. But um, so anyway, those are my thoughts on, well, on that. I, but you're right. I don't, I don't write for for, for, for for bossy, and I, I try to stay the heck away from recruiting sometimes. <laughs> it makes my head hurt. Well, you, you do have a point about like the. Uh, you know, the attendance and, you know, it, it, it will be interesting because kind of going into the season, I think local expectations are, you know, far higher, um, you know, than, than what, where they are nationally. But I, I do sort of wonder if the, the national narrative of just sort of seeing Missouri consistently at the bottom of these rankings will, will have a little bit of a toll on the more casual fan, you know, who maybe doesn't uh-huh. tune in, uh, you know, until it gets closer to, 
you know the regular season they're like oh well Missouri's not supposed to be very good according to you know such and such so I'm I'm gonna you know wait to figure out if they're gonna be good or not and and maybe they wait but uh but I think like yeah I I really think that the fans should show up because this is a program I think Conzo is building it the right way he's he's getting kids that are buying in and uh they they seem to really have a lot kind of going for it I don't don't know if that's going to lead to you know kind of like we were saying a top five finish but uh I think they should contend for an NCAA tournament spot and um and if they make the tournament then uh, yeah I really I won't be surprised uh if they if they land the NCAA tournament I think I'll be a little bit more surprised if they don't yeah I think it it, like at the least I think this is a team that that has the goods to it you know um being like an, at least an NIT and I'm with you. I think they can play for a, for a tournament bid. So um, I think if, if, if you, if we get to the end of the year and Missouri's not in at least the NIT, then yeah, I, I say that's a probably disappointing year just because I think um, I know their expectations are pretty high. Yeah. Well, everybody go uh, log into Twitter, search at CJ more hoops and give him a follow. Um, like I said, we always like national guys that, that like Missouri and, and, and CJ does some really, really good write-ups on Missouri. Uh, what's on the docket next for you, CJ? Uh, I leave tomorrow morning, uh, and fly to Houston and tomorrow I'll be at, uh, Houston to talk to former Kansas guard, Quentin Grimes. Nice. And then I'm driving up to Stephen F. Austin and they have an assistant coach there. Um, his name is Wade Mason. And uh, he has liver cancer oh. and um, is like coaching during the week and getting chemo on the weekends. Um, so that's that's an, <laughs> kind of a downer. That's one of the next <laughs> things I'll, I'll work on. But in terms of the Tigers, um, I'm not sure when it's coming out, but I do have a story on Reed um, Nico that, that has been written and, and maybe edited. <laughs> and he'll probably – uh, appear on the, the website at some point. I, I haven't been uh, told when, but uh, they, they've got it. And, uh, so it was it was fun. I, I ended up going uh, doing a nature walk with uh, with Reed just to kind of give you a little little preview there. Nice, so. big soda. He's he's a good kid. Yeah, he's he's a really really good kid. I really enjoyed him. So it was a fun one. Well, CJ, thanks so much for for coming on the podcast. We always uh, love having you on and talking to you about basketball. Uh, We will send all the followers your way. You'll probably get uh, all our listeners, which I'm pretty sure we have a solid three listeners at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, your mom's, maybe an uncle or two. Uh, Well, if I include family members, I think think we're up to five. (laughs) Uh, But but thanks again for tuning in and uh, we appreciate your coming on appreciate it fellas take care it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. And once again, I want to say thanks to CJ Moore. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, go read his stuff at theathletic.com. Uh, uh, Matt and I are both subscribers. Well, I think actually I'm a subscriber and Matt leeches off my subscription, but that's okay. Um, all of the words that CJ writes are worthwhile and, uh, and worth reading. So uh, definitely make time when you see his stuff pop up. Um, any follow-up thoughts on what CJ had to say, Matt? Uh, no, I think it's. I think he's of like mind with us, which is, I think you know, as we said multiple times, we're all bullish at think on Missouri's prospects here. Um, and you know, I think the one thing we're going to get into this in a minute. You know, when we talk about other polls and other kind of preseason projections, you know, we understand variance. You know, I think you know we're going to talk about people that have picked Missouri tenth, eleventh, or twelfth, and you know, those aren't outlandish you know i i disagree with them you know but i don't know what those folks have done you know in terms of their prep work and their background work but i think you know fans are going to see where we pick missouri 
or where CJ picks Missouri, and they're going to see other outlets and be like, well, why can there be such a wide gap? And I think we can talk about this too. It's just the middle of the SEC is so muddled and so congested that one to two outcomes can really swing you three to four spots in the standings. And so when you see teams, as always, it's probably best to think of them in tiers. So I think that that's sort of my takeaway is, you know, people are going to hear us and we're all going to sound bullish on Missouri. I don't think we're operating too far outside of bounds of where other people are. We just may be more optimistic in terms of what we think the outcomes are going to be. So I, that that's sort of my takeaway is just in preseason, I think a lot of people get locked in and fixated on numbers rather than kind of, I think, looking at you know, the bigger picture and kind of the macro picture of the league itself. Yeah. And I think the likelihood that, uh, that you would expect national writers to dive into, uh, the rosters the way that, that we do. Um, I mean, we get really granular. I watch, uh, I watch video on every newcomer, uh, that's coming into the league. So I have a fair idea of, of kind of what rotations will look like and, uh, and what you can expect from any given recruiting class. Um, it's, I mean, it's a lot of work, and uh, I completely understand if, uh, you know, like Matt Norlander isn't breaking down Texas A&M to, uh, to that degree. Um, you know, but it is, it is sort of interesting to where, like, so we talked about a little bit with CJ, the, uh, the polls that came out, the media poll had Missouri... Uh, 13th for SEC media poll and basically the same thing came out for the CBS sports poll Um, and I am open and taking any and all bets for people that think Missouri is going to finish 13th I will I will take that bet that Missouri will finish higher because you and I both think like I think any outcome between like 5 and 12 is is possible depending on the breaks Uh, you know if 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 one team uh, has one of their guys go down and and it's an important guy, like, say, Mark Smith, um, you know, Mark Smith was missing for a third of the season last year. And, and that hurt Missouri's offensive efficiency because he was a guy who had a really good uh, effective field goal percentage because of his ability to shoot threes. And so when you miss that, uh, I think it's easy to kind of overlook uh, – you know the, what, what you have coming back and maybe not think that, oh, if they have healthy Mark Smith or if they just don't have Mark Smith, um, it's one of those things that's kind of easy to miss. So I think the fluidity of 5 to 12 for me, I, I think you look at Florida and, uh, and Kentucky at the top, you look at Texas A&M um, and Vanderbilt probably at the bottom. Vanderbilt to me is a very clear 14. Uh, I, I think Texas A&M has enough there uh, that they could maybe slip up a couple spots with uh, with kind of a, you know the, the the right right break. I'm just kind of skeptical if you get a guy like T.J. Starks to kind of buy into what Buzz Williams wants to do because Buzz is kind of cut from a different cloth. Um, but we'll see. Like we'll see kind of how it plays out. I just I tend to think that most of the people who are discounting Missouri at this point are kind of discounting how good of a basketball coach Conzo Martin is. And I don't necessarily think Conzo Martin has proven to us that he's an elite basketball coach, but I think he's a very good basketball coach. And I think he's somebody who can get Missouri into a place with a top 40 defense and a top 70 offense. And that's, that's good enough for like sixth or seventh in the league. And I don't think that's asking a whole lot for, uh, for what this program has. No, and, and, you know, you and I talked about in the offseason, you know, Mark Smith not having him arguably cost them probably three wins in the standing. So that's eight and ten right there. And so, again, you know, if Missouri was an eight and ten team, you know, bringing back a health, bringing back Mark Smith, bringing back Jeremiah Tillman, you know, having some pieces back around them, you know, I don't think you'd see experts nationally picking Missouri 12th. I don't think you'd see them picking Missouri 5th, but I think you'd see Missouri in preseason polls closer to 7th or 8th. And so realistically, I think that that's kind of the thing in the context that's been missing here is Mark Smith, probably his absence cost them a shot at an NIT bid. And if Missouri's an NIT team bringing some pieces back and they've got a newcomer in Drew Smith and they've got a couple 
know, they've got a top 80 freshman and they've got another kind of intriguing prospect in Kobe Brown. You know, folks might say, okay, maybe they can get on the bubble this year. But I think, you know, so much of what happens is, you know, just because national writers, like we've said, have a lot to cover. They have to cover 353 teams in theory. They're not going to dive in and really, I think, look at that nuance and, and really understand what, you know, this roster really looks like. And, you know, as we talked about with CJ, there are real questions, though, that I think you can't dismiss out of hand. You know, is Drew Smith going to be as good as advertised? You know, will the freshman guards, particularly Pinson and Watson, be better finishers off the dribble? Will the freshman combo forwards give them something? Can Tillman stay on the floor? You know, does the offense look the way Conzo wants it to? Those aren't questions with readily easy answers. But I think when you look at what Missouri has, there's reason to feel confident that they can, you know, solve a lot of those problems or resolve a lot of those in their favor. So it's, to me, it, you know, if it's picking them fifth or seventh or 10th, I'm fine with all of those because we don't know how the games are going to go. We can't predict injury luck, but picking a team 13th or 14th pretty much says this roster is a gut job and it's going to be a multi-year rebuild. And I just don't think the roster is in that position at all. I don't think you can reasonably think that at all based on any, you know, respectable level of research. Yeah. And, and I think that's another thing is a lot of people don't realize that, that one of the things that you and I do is, and I kind of make you do it, uh, but we pick them game by game. So we have to go through and pick winners of, well, I used of, to pick of game every game. game. And I think that really alters the outlook of where you think teams are going to land. Um, I think it's valuable, particularly valuable when you're looking at uh, an unbalanced schedule like the SEC. When you ha- when everybody plays everybody, it's, it's okay, who's, who's the best team, who's the worst team, we'll figure it out in the middle. Um, but w- with an unbalanced schedule, I mean... Like, okay, you're playing Kentucky home and home. Or if you're not playing Kentucky, are you playing them at Rupp? And if you're playing them at Rupp, then you, you're probably feeling pretty good because that's like that's a loss that you can kind of mark in your column and be like, all right, we probably aren't going to win a whole lot of road games anyway. Uh, so I'm not worried about that. But if you get them at home, now you're talking about taking away the potential for... Um, you know, a home win. And so if you're, if you're kind of one of these teams in the middle, uh, losing uh, or beating Kentucky or losing or beating Florida, where you get them home and away is, is really important in the, in the grand scheme of things because those teams aren't going to lose a lot of games. Uh, and so if Ole Miss drops home games against, you know, three good teams, all of a sudden, they're they're looking at best five and three at home, and now they have to go play, uh, you know, another nine games on the road. So it's just one of those things that when you have the unbalanced schedule, I think it plays such a a, a role in defining who is and who isn't good uh, in any given season, or who whose record is what it is in any given season. I think it's an important uh, thing to play. And I think you and I have zeroed in on a team like Auburn, which we've seen them come in three and four in polls, which to me, one, ignores the fact that they're like 13th in returning production in the conference. Like they, they've literally lost 65% of their production in almost every major statistical category. They've lost their top three players who, if you believe in Kim Palm's MVP, were critical for them. Absolutely critical. It was Chumo Kiki... Bryce Brown or Jared Harper, that was an MVP of almost every game for them. Their bench got rolling down the stretch last year, but they were five seed in the NCAA tournament. But if you really dig in, it was their top four guys in that rotation that carried them. And now you're expecting reserve units to sort of step in. And I think I wrote this this spring, Auburn's 12th in returning possessions. You're expecting reserve units to step up and backfill that kind of production, that's a heavy ask anyway. And then you've got to go on the road to Mississippi State. You have to go on the road to Gainesville. You have to go, you know, to a tough road trip like Arkansas. You got to go to Alabama. You got to go to a better Georgia. You know, you have to go to Kentucky. 
and you have to go to Knoxville to play Tennessee. That's that's not a really great road schedule for you. And that really puts a lot of pressure on you to hold up at home, but you're getting home-and-home games against a better Alabama. You're getting a home-and-home against Kentucky. And a home-and-home against, I believe... Yeah, they have a home and home against Georgia. That that's a heavy, heavy schedule, especially when you're having to replace as many parts. And I know they have Isaac Okoro, who's a top fifty freshman coming in, but when you really go through the schedule and you look what Auburn has to replace, and you know what's going to be put on the shoulders of guys like Samir Dowdy or Javon McCormick or even Austin Wiley having to really reassert himself, do you feel good about picking that team fourth? Even if Bruce Pearl's a good coach, I I don't think they're going to be a bad team. I don't think they're going to. I know I think they're a potential NCAA tournament team, but I think they're a lot closer to nine and nine or ten and eight than they are to twelve and six or thirteen and five, which is where usually that team's going to be if you're in third or fourth in the standing. So I think when you go through and you look at the numbers against the schedule and you watch the film on these guys, you really get a sense for what maybe is a better hypothetical than just doing a cursory scheme of a stat sheet and going, well, they made a Final Four run last year and they're bringing some guys back. So I really think that's there's a spectrum that you work on. And so we try and I always try and keep that in mind whenever I'm looking at projections. You know, what did this person do? And, you know, to me, the hallmark is if you're just automatically putting Mississippi State, Tennessee, and Auburn in 3-4-5, that actually makes me less convinced that you've done the homework because there's some real questions with those rosters at this point. That's not to say they're going to be bad, but I don't know if they'll be top six in that order. So I think you have to kind of do case studies. And I think it's sort of a a, a good sort of example of how the methodology you use can really, really be important in sort of framing, you know, what, what the league race might look like. Yeah. And as I said on Auburn today, like you and I were kind of talking privately, I'm like, they, they finished fifth in the sec. Like I realized they made the final four, but they finished fifth in the sec. They were 11 and seven. The only reason they were a five seed as high as they were is because they were streaking at the end of the year. And they were streaking because of three dudes. Like they were playing great basketball at the end of the year because Jared Harper is awesome. Bryce Brown is awesome, and Chumo Kiki is awesome. And all those three guys are gone. <laughs> so, I like if if you told me that Auburn finished like 6 and 12 this year, I'd be like, eh, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I still think they're probably going to be well, more well, like they're... 9 and 9 or 10 and 8, but uh that's just that's a lot. That's a lot to replace. And and it is one of those things like we always like to look at these recruiting classes as though Every recruiting, if you have a good recruiting class, it's going to perform like Kentucky, but it, that's not how it works. Missouri can uh, attest to that by you know, rolling out that, that elite recruiting class a couple of years ago and basically having Jeremiah Tillman and Jonte Porter be good bigs. Uh, but the bulk of the offense went through uh, Cassius Robertson and, and, uh, and Jordan Barnett, guys that were experienced and, and, and kind of knew how to play college basketball. And I wrote about this summer that realistically an instant impact recruit is a kid who's a top 35 recruit. That's an instant impact recruit. Maybe let's expand that to top 50. Once you get between 50 and 150, it can be pretty circumstantial. Like it can be hit or miss. And, you know, the one thing I, you know, people will look at Auburn and say, well, they got Isaac Coro. The other three members of that class are between 100 and 150. If you look at the average 247 composite index rating, for Auburn, it and Missouri are basically equal. Basically equal. Like, if you were to look at the average player in those classes, Missouri is bringing in comparable talent, just if you believe in 247's index, to Auburn. And Missouri brings back more known production. They bring in an impact player like Drew Smith. You know, Jeremiah Tillman's a guy who is uh, you know, probably, arguably, one of the better post players in the conference. They had freshmen who are playing well down the stretch. If you were to lay those two rosters next to each other and you look at the data, you look at the recruiting classes, you watch video on all the guys, I don't think there's a huge gap between Auburn and Missouri. But to a national pundit, that might sound crazy. 
And so I really think that's what people have to keep in mind here is unless Auburn's rolling out three top 50 dudes and that's what Bruce Pearl's bringing in, there's going to probably be some growing pains there. And, you know, it's probably not fair to Bruce to sort of say, well, you went to a Final Four last year. It can't be too big of a drop-off. It just ignores the fact that losing Jared Harper to a second, you know, who I don't even believe Jared Harper went, you know, above 50th in the draft. Like, losing him to go play professional basketball is just a huge, blows a huge hole in their roster. And now everyone's assuming, like, okay, Javon McCormick's a pretty good player. He was good in spot minutes. Step in there and replace arguably the best point guard in the conference and don't miss a beat. It's it it doesn't really I think hold up to scrutiny when you really dig into it. But you know, the media gets their vote and you know, we have ours and you know difference of opinion are natural, so we'll see what happens. Well my bet uh my, made... my willingness to bet anyone on Missouri being thirteenth is still out there. If you want to take Missouri at thirteenth, um I will I will bet against that. <laughs> Uh, but so we had a little bit of uh, recruiting news and we want to kind of hop on this before we get out of, uh, last week on the podcast, I was with Brandon Kylie and I said that we think Missouri is basically done for the fall period. Uh, both, uh, <laughs> both. That was true. It at was time. true at the time. Now it's less true. Uh, it looks like Missouri is going to get or involved with true. this, uh, Jalen Terry kid. Um, you have thoughts on that? Really, really good prospect out of Michigan. Um, depending on who you believe, uh, it's Isaiah Jackson's clearly the number one prospect in the state of Michigan. Uh, plays for the family, played with Jalen Terry, pick and roll partners, and when they're really going, it's it, it, they're a devastating pick and roll combination. Uh, then another name you've probably heard us talk about before, Carlos Scooby Johnson is probably second in Michigan. Uh, he committed to Butler. In uh, a really nice pickup for them, and a really nice class that Laval Jordan's putting together, and then some will have Jalen Terry in there. And, and um, Terry is 5'11", 155. Uh, if you see him, lean is the term that comes to mind. But <clears throat> um, really athletic, can get off the floor. Uh, I, I'd say his bounce is in the same kind of range as Mario McKinney. He can get off the floor, and both are end to end. They're quick. They're, you know, they play great downhill uh, jumper, needs some refining, but you look at it and it's mechanically pretty good, just needs some reps, but realistically... Just needs to uh, go in more. <laughs> yeah, um, but top 60 prospect nationally had been committed to Michigan State since April. Uh, Michigan State took A.J. Hoggard, uh, another point guard out of uh, Huntington Prep, last week. Uh, that spurred... Uh, Jalen Terry to look elsewhere. Uh, Michigan State's really loaded at his position. They already had two other point guards on the roster <coughs> when they took him, and then Hogger would make four. Uh, they're they're both kind of ball dominant guards. Uh, Rocket Watts, who is on the roster, who Missouri fans should know about, is also a ball dominant guard. Um, so the question is, who's going to get touches? Who's going to get minutes? Uh, that led Jalen to sort of look elsewhere. The big news for Missouri fans and why you should care is everyone else has basically filled up their point guard spots. Butler has taken two point guards. They were a finalist. Iowa State has taken a point guard. Iowa has taken a point guard. Obviously, Michigan State has. Missouri has point guards on the roster, but it was willing to you know, just wedge in Caleb Love, another top 50 kid who was a scoring first point guard onto the roster. So Missouri uh, right now, I think, could be in position to if it really wants to make a push, you know, try and reopen the door there and, and get a kid who I think, you know, Caleb was rated higher and has improved as a passer, but Jalen Terry is not a huge, I'm not going to call it a step down. They're in the same ballpark. If you can get in with a kid this late in the process, you do it. So we'll see if Missouri makes a push there. Um, I'd heard from some people in Michigan that, you know, you know, they wouldn't be surprised if Missouri wanted to jump in there um, and that this is a kid you make room for. So uh, I haven't heard anything definitive on whether or not Missouri's reached out or whether or not they've tried to, you know, set up an official visit or anything. But, you know, it's definitely a situation that people should keep an eye on because it's a kid that has connections to Missouri. And you can talk about those if you want, but 
they were a finalist. They've recruited him. They have some connections on the staff up there, and uh, they have a need uh, and a willingness to uh, to take him on. Well, yeah. So he goes to Flint Bleacher um, High School uh, there in Flint, Michigan, and uh, it's the same school that Monty Morris uh, went to. For for those who remember Monty Morris, for the played at Iowa State, now plays for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, he was recruited to Iowa State by one Cornell man. Um, so I'd say that, that Missouri's staff has some familiarity with uh, the area, uh, that school in particular. And and whenever you're talking about Michigan, uh, so Michigan kids, it usually kind of comes down to this. Is Michigan or Michigan State involved? If they are not, we know that Michigan State is now not involved. Uh Rumors seem to be that Michigan is not looking to get involved. Um, if that's the case, then you have to really like Missouri's chances. Uh, it's not to say that they would land him if they just threw their hat in the ring, but um, you know. But but Conza Martin is a guy that you know seems to carry some weight, and and everybody knows Cornell Mann in Michigan. So uh, I, I would say at this point that if Missouri wants to get involved, that I. I would not be remotely surprised if they ended up landing him. And I, I, I think if, if you're talking about like how you can put together the kind of, you know, roster that you think can take the next step at Missouri, then it, it starts with kids like, like this really, who are um, high level kids who you can get to kind of stick around. And I think that that's when you talk about Jeremiah Tillman, Jeremiah Tillman's impact on this program is, uh, has been pretty long because he's been able to stick around, even though he's not always been on the floor. But uh, I think think that this is where like you kind of get into the you know the one and dones might um, make life a little harder on schools like North Carolina and uh, and Kentucky and the fact that they have to kind of do this year after year after year. Uh, but if you can get kind of that kid that's in that fifty to sixty range and get them uh, to sort of be on on campus two three. Uh, maybe four years you're going to get a lot of mileage out of that player yeah and the other thing on another Cornell man note Jim Terry played with Malik Carr who is Cornell's son uh on the family out of Detroit so you know there it's the degrees of separation are hair thin here if if you know Missouri wants to assert itself it probably can uh I'd heard from somebody that you know Butler's staff was handicapping it as Iowa State or Missouri as the ultimate destination. Now, that doesn't mean that it's true, but, you know, I always think it's interesting when other staffs sort of handicap who they think has a shot. And if they're saying, you know, hey, we've recruited this kid pretty hard too, and these are our two contenders, that that sort of makes me perk up as well. So it, it'll be worth monitoring moving forward. Um, but if, if Missouri can get in and get involved and get a top 60 kid, um, you know, you hate to frame it in these terms, but Missouri fans would have been happy if it would have been Caleb Love, a scoring kind of point, and a big man like Davion Bradford. If your class is, you know, Jalen Terry, scoring point guard, top 50 prospect, and Jordan Wilmore, a big who's a developmental prospect and kind of a developmental multi-year guy like Davion Bradford, you've basically, you've, you've achieved the objective. <laughs> you've ticked off your needs and, you know, was it, you know, the most straightforward way to get there? No, no, it wasn't. But if, if that is what comes to pass, then, you know, Conzo, I think, is again, done what he needs to do on the recruiting trail, gotten guys in here that fit what he wants, fit what he needs. And, uh, you know, that's just another reason to, uh, once again, doubt what CBS Sports wrote about <laughs> it being a do or die year for him. Yeah, he's, he's not going anywhere. Uh, well, we are kind of running up against it. We have, uh, we have, held your attention for quite a while so matt and i are going to get out of here go give him a follow on twitter if you're not already if you aren't already following him on twitter like what are we what are we waiting on here people uh matt j harris uh, 85 you can follow me at sam t stilling um subscribe to the podcast please uh make sure you rate it if you have some time uh go listen to nate and go listen to mitch uh they are doing good job even though i gave uh Gave Mitch a little trouble last week. Good job, everybody. We're podcasting Rocket Nation. Uh, huzzah!
so until next week we'll be back with uh with more podcasts so see you then